Our reading is from Exodus chapter 33. This is on page 92 in your Pew Bible. <clears throat> Exodus 33, reading from verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, as we come to your word, we ask, Lord, that you would help us. Help us, encourage us, strengthen us, open our eyes, correct what we need to be corrected in, challenge us, enthuse us, renew us, we pray. In all these things, I ask that you would keep me from error. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're uh, in the middle of, uh, well, we're not, we're getting towards the end of Exodus. And uh, this is a big bit again, because this is the big bits that I've been doing. And today, uh, it was doing from Exodus 25 to 34, and it is heavily 
influenced by Phil Campbell. So I need to say that up front. Phil Campbell is the Minister of Scots Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, I think. I think that's right. I even have a big idea. Look at that. I even have a big idea. And the big idea is despite how consistently faithless we are, and redrawing from our God all the time, the Lord is consistently faithful to us. He is near us. You might remember Israel has been invited a very special invitation. They're invited to become God's personal treasure. They're invited to be a kingdom of priests, invited to be a holy nation. It's an amazing invitation. It boggles the mind, but it actually fits in with what God had uh, always meant for humanity. It's a huge privilege. And Exodus 20 onwards, God spells out exactly how these special people are to live, page after page. There are laws, regulations, rules, and rituals starting, of course, with what we know as the Ten Commandments in uh, chapter 20, verse 3 to 17. It's the way God wants his people to behave. It's not how they're going to be to get in. It's how now that they are going to be made his people, they are to live this way. It comes as God's grace to them. Moses and his people are at Mount Sinai. That's where we're at today. You remember that, Mount Sinai? The Lord has reaffirmed his commitment to them. We call this the covenant. And as we've said, they are his treasured possession. Moses is about to give, be given the law of God, which we know as the Ten Commandments. He's called up the mountain. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will go with you and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law of commands I have written for their instruction. Verse 15 of chapter 24, the cloud, the glory of the Lord settles on Mount Sinai for six days. Can you do that? Six? It's hard actually, six which one do you use? That one? Anyway, six days, the glory in the form of the cloud covers Mount Sinai. Then we see in verse 12 onwards, entering the cloud, something strange. Verse 16, six days, the cloud covered the mountain. Remember the six? Can you do that? Six? You can't do it. No one will do that to me. Six. You did look at Nina always does something different. Six days, the cloud covers the mountain. And on the seventh, that's why I wanted you to do that. I want you to get that. Seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. The Israelites, the glory of the Lord looking, looked like, sorry, to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm not going to get you to do that with your hands. On the seventh day, 
the Lord called from the cloud for Moses to enter, verse 16, and he stayed for 40 days and 40 nights. There's lots of numbers here, isn't there? Deuteronomy 9.9 tells us that while he was there, he was fasted, which is interesting, not told here. Chapters 25 to 31 are the words that God spoke to Moses during those 40 days and 40 nights. Those chapters tell the people how this creator, the perfect creator of the universe, could live amongst his people. What are they meant to be? They're meant to be a treasured possession. They're meant to be his people, royal priests, a holy nation. This is how he is going to be amongst them. The seven-day pattern, remember the seven? That's why I got you to hold it. The seven-day pattern echoes something you've heard before. What is that? Where did you hear of seven before? Creation, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Out the, fr- out the back, if you want, there's a sheet when you leave, which let's talk a little bit more of how the tabernacle actually reflects what's going on in Genesis 1 and 2. The one thing we remember is that God made man and woman and put them in the garden and he walked among them. Genesis 3, 8. Now, in the same way, God has come to his people and he's recreating them. This is a creation event. If God is going to be here, how is he going to overcome sin? Because just as oil and water can't mix, so God's holiness, his righteousness and truth will actually annihilate sin. God has made plans so that he can dwell amongst his people. And the tabernacle is how he's going to do it. The tabernacle is a tent. Do you like Camping, anyone? Tenting? Anyone like that? People do like tent. There is a lot of campers here, aren't there? Although I think they caravan now. God is going to build a tent given to them, an amazing portable tent, a temple as such, a huge tent. It's a place where worship can take place. It's a place that safeguards them from doing inappropriate things. It keeps his people safe. They can't just barge in on this holy God. The tabernacle is the way that God will be with them. It shows how serious it is to be in the presence of a holy God. It shows how serious it is that you can't just approach him any way you like. This holy God, though, is with and wants to be with his people. It shows that God seeks out relationship with people he chooses 
to love. It showed how serious rebellion is. Rebellion ruined creation. Remember Genesis 1 to 2 and you get to 3? What happens in Genesis 3? 1, 2, 3. 3 is the bad bit. It's the fall. It's the reason why humanity walked away. Sin enters the world and what happens? Remember that God walks with us in the garden? He's with us. What happens? We're removed from the garden and he is not with us. See this event as trying to do that again. Here is the tabernacle. Here is God. What will happen? Hopefully, unless you read the next chapter, hopefully God will be with us. God declares and he asks uh, he declares his faithfulness to his people and he calls Moses into that seventh day. What was the seventh day from Genesis 1 to 2? Do you know? Rest. He's calling Moses to come and enter his rest, just like all of creation at the end of Genesis 1 to 2 is meant to sit in his rest his love, his presence, and his care. Moses gets to experience that. But it all goes pear-shaped. Exodus 33, as you know, there's a case of mad golden cow disease. Verse 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him. Gathered, the gold is gathered and Aaron, Moses' right hand, remember that, who Aaron is? He's Moses' right hand, surprisingly ends up being the provider of the idea and has the gold made into the shape of the calf and states, these are the gods, in verse 4, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt, chapter 32, verse 4. They sacrificed to this God, and there's a whole thing going wrong here. It's commandments 1 and 2 being broken at the same time. Meanwhile, back up the mountain where Moses is, Lord says in verse 7, go down because your people whom you brought, us up out of, brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. Then you see in verse 9, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. God is going to start again with Moses, he says. <laughs> but before that could happen, Moses prays. Turn from your fierce anger, verse 12 and 13. Relent, he says to God, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, Remember your servants, Abraham, 
Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give you descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. God knows what's going to happen. And yet God also uses prayer and invites us into it. Here, Moses is praying and he's interceding, isn't he? He becomes the intercessor. He becomes the mediator. Alec Motyer said, prayer is one of the laws with which God runs his world. You see it in operation here. God says, these people, they're rubbish. Let's get rid of them. I've got you. We'll start with you. And Moses says to God, what about your covenant? And he intercedes for the people. It's one of the mysteries a little bit of the passage is that God uses prayer and he does so here. But in the end, the peace comes about because of God's faithfulness to himself, which he always will be. Moses calls him to it, and he is. The next day, Moses says to the people in verse 30, you've committed a great sin, but now I go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for you. Sin is dealt with and punished, but God remains with his people, despite what they are like. Remember the garden. We're there and then we're not there. Something has changed because just as the garden was followed by the fall, creation, one, two, three, now we have the tabernacle where God will be and with his people and we have a fall event where they worship and show themselves to be stiff-necked. You always get, wor- I w- get worried when I wake up in the morning. I think if I become stiff-necked over and off, then I realise, Joyce, it's just sin. I'm like that anyway. The damage is done. God cannot go with them. You see this verse in chapter 33, verse 3. Go up to the land of flowing land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you You are a, because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. We've been, that's a hard passage to hear if you haven't been reading, and it's probably a hard passage to read even if you have. But we've already seen this where before when that strange little passage we saw before where God was going to deal most harshly with Moses and Zipporah, his wife, stepped in. We've been warned that God, a holy God, cannot tolerate sin. And God acknowledges, I'm not going with these people. Just as creation happened and then the garden, we left the garden, and couldn't get back. So the tabernacle, which was meant to be where God would be with people, he cannot be. 
Only Moses is shown God's glory. We've read that passage. While people watch from the tents, which is a bit before that, they see that uh, Moses would have meetings with God, that the glory would come down and meet him, and then he would be. And then he saw him face. Well, he says, it says he saw him face to face, but strangely later on it says, you cannot see my face. Somehow those things are connected and logical, despite how they might read in English. The writer has no problem. God reveals his glory, and that's what Moses cannot see. God is shown God's glory, the glory of the Lord of the cloud. Moses has his doubts, though, doesn't he? In verse 13 of chapter 33, if you're pleased with me, Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Verse 16, how will anyone know you are pleased with me unless you go with us? And that's when he asked to see God's glory and it's given to him. Moses is given an experience of God's full glory, his goodness. But the problem still remains because we're right back at Genesis 1 to 3, we're right back at Genesis 3. How will a holy God live with sinful people? The rest of the Old Testament addresses that problem which still remains. It's obvious, isn't it, that people don't change. What will? It's in that question that a certain man enters Galilee and an eternal priest king is born and John writes in John 1.14, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us or dwelt or dwelling. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is saying is that God has overcome this problem in Jesus, that what the tabernacle, what didn't happen at, in the garden has now been overcome and fulfilled in Jesus. The glory of the one and only lived amongst them, they have seen his glory. Jesus came that we might have that bridge breached, that we might have that wall broken down. For sin is serious because in it death reigns. Jesus lived as his son Israel would not live and could not live. His perfect son lived in obedience day by day, faithfully with his father in heaven. He obeyed God like no one can. Being fully human, he lived the life which we needed lived, and he did. Dying on the cross means he was punished unjustly for our benefit. He died the unrighteous, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he do that? 
to bring us to God. The tabernacle is fulfilled its purpose in Jesus. God provided the solution to this problem in him. He he died, he rose, and he gave us his spirit. And his spirit has been poured out on us because God's spirit now lives in us. There are no such thing as temples or tabernacles, but us. And we together form his church. He's building us into a building of holiness. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 2 Corinthians 5.5 said, Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. As you read Exodus, God's purposes seem frustrated. By the time, if you keep reading the Old Testament, that seems to stay. But in the coming of Jesus, God has overturned our problems and frustrations and fulfilled his promises and accomplished life accomplished this what no human could do. And in it, he has been calling and gathering his people. His spirit has gone out and is drawing us all to himself, those who he knows. How are we to live? We're to live in obedience. We're to live lives full of praise of who this Jesus who has done this, who has breached the gap who has pulled us to himself and secured us to life. We're prayerful. We use prayer because God uses prayer. We're faithful because he is faithful to us. We're assured because Christ has done this. It's not about me or you. Remember, we're all over the place. But God has made sure in Jesus. And we are confident because in our God we are confident he never changes. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we, uh, we're amazed. We're amazed of your glory. John saw and he told us that he saw the glory of the one and only as Jesus tabernacled amongst us. We often wish that we had seen that. But, Lord, what we have come is much, what we've come to have is much better than just seeing and being there. For we have your spirit. You have poured it out upon us. We know you by name. You have called us. You have made us your people. We praise you and thank you that we have the fulfilment of what you had promised. We're reading here how people would not, he could not go with them because of their sin. Father, that has been totally overturned. Help us to understand you are with us. As Matthew would say, Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, in your spirit, 
by your mercy, you are with us always and will always be with us, even to the end of the age. We rejoice in your truth and your love. We ask that you would help us to be faithful. Renew us, strengthen us, change us and mould us into the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.